Hello and welcome to Storehouse 7 Ministries with me, Chris Wickland. How are you doing today? Um, so we're now into part two of Revelation chapter 22. So let's begin, shall we? So today we're going to begin from verse 4 and it reads thus. Revelation 22 verse 4. They will see his face and his name will be upon their foreheads. Now, this is, I think, quite an incredible verse for here on the new earth. All the saints are permitted to see God the Father's face. In the Bible, there are several verses which make it clear that no one can see God's face and live. Exodus 33:20. But he said, you cannot see my face for no one may see me and live. Indeed, during Jesus's earthly ministry, no one had ever seen the Father, only the Son, which he says himself, John 6:46. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. John 1.18 No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, on the new earth, we get to gaze upon the Father in all of his glory, in our human form, in our human bodies, because remember, we're in resurrected bodies now, and to look into his very face. This is such an amazing privilege and honor. What a joy it's going to be. Do remember that in the resurrection of the dead, we rule with Christ on the earth for a thousand years. Now, in that time, we will see the Father through the Son. But in the new earth, we will get to see both the Father and the Son together in all their splendor and all their glory. Revelation 22, verse 5, And there will no longer be any light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever. <laughs> now we looked at the subject of sun, moon and God lighting up the city in the previous chapter on his commentary. But what is interesting in this verse is the last statement, and they will reign forever. Also, uh, just winding back a little bit, we can take a great sense of comfort and joy knowing that God illumines his people like a good shepherd watches over his flock and like a mother hen covering her chicks under his wings. I really like that picture. So uh, anyway, back to the point where we will reign forever. So here we get an, yet another little sneaky peek of the age to come, that even in this total paradise, we still get to reign with God. Now, we know from the previous chapters of Revelation that there are kings on the new heaven and new earth, and this would therefore denote kingdoms. We also looked at how uh, there would be different nations represented. See Revelation 21, 24 to 27 and Revelation 22, verse 2. And we looked at this in, in our previous chapter. So we can see that the new earth will have kings governing it with potential sub-kingdoms and nations. Now, I'm not sure if we'll be subdivided into our ethnic nationalities or not, but probably likely. So in some ways, you can see how the new earth is not too dissimilar to our current earth. It looks like it will have government and order. And all of this links up to some of Jesus's parables. So let's take the parable of the minas, for example. Depending on how they used and invested God's giftings in the current age would determine the rewards they would earn in the next, especially in the context of governing. So in Luke 19, verses 15 to 17, it says, When he, that's the merchant, returned after receiving the kingdom, he ordered that these slaves to whom he had given money be called to him so that he might know what business, is, or what business they had done. 
And the first appeared saying, Master, your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good slave. Because you've been faithful in a very little thing, you are to be in authority over 10 cities. Now let's compare that with a similar parable in Matthew 25, which is the parable of the talents. Matthew 25 verses 19 to 21. Now after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. And therefore I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now these two parables, although similar in nature, reveal the same conclusion. What we do with the giftings and callings God has given us in this age leads to rewards in the next. Both parables also speak of ruling and being in charge in the next age. And this will not just be true for the millennial age of the Messiah when we are resurrected, but also upon the new heaven and the new earth. So with that in mind, it should lead us all to serve God with more zeal and conviction to work hard for God and his kingdom. Why? Because we love him and know that if we work hard, we will be uh, lavishly rewarded by a loving God. Amen. So to invest five talents wisely and then get to govern five cities as a consequence shows us God's goodness, kindness and generosity. Revelation 22 verse 6. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of spirits of the prophet, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Now here the vision of the new heaven and earth now closes and we now move into the epilogue as the book of Revelation itself comes to a conclusion. The epilogue begins with the words, these words are faithful and true. Now you will note that this phrase appears in various guises throughout the book of Revelation. For example, Revelation 19 verse 9, then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. Revelation 21 verse 5, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. The statement, these words are faithful and true, are essentially linked to God's own nature. For God is faithful and he is the truth. Therefore, God's word is his bond. If he says, my words are faithful and true, then we can rest assured that his word is as good as his own nature. It's God's way of saying, you can trust me on this. These things will surely come to pass. Moving into verse 6. And he said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Now, I have to say that all my commentaries, sorry, all the commentaries that I own on this verse go strangely quiet, much to my annoyance. So I'm going to try and let the scriptures themselves help decode the meaning of this verse. Um, So I do use commentaries a lot. I would also recommend you use commentaries when it comes to books like Revelation, which are out of most people's depth. It's good to have various different types of commentaries to 
uh, just help you get some extra nuance and some extra maybe historical evidence or data that you wouldn't normally have access to. So although I'm not copying my um, commentaries, I'm, I'm looking at them as a reference guide to make sure that A, that I've got it right, and B, that there may be some other little uh, interesting tidbits that can come out of that that, that will actually be beneficial to this commentary. So <clears throat> hopefully you've uh, appreciated all the little bits about church fathers, etc., that have been brought into this commentary because I do use and draw on lots of different sources. Um, okay, so the phrase from this verse, because this verse that I've just read is a bit peculiar, and you probably can't remember what I said now, so I'll read it again. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bond servants the things that must soon take place. So the phrase, the God of the spirits of the prophets, is a peculiar one, but probably not as obtuse and mysterious as we may think. So a verse that immediately springs to mind here is 1 Corinthians 14.32, which reads, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Or, put another way, as the Living Translation says, Remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. So Paul here is referring to the inner man, the spirit of the prophet, who is hearing the voice of God prophetically, yet is making it clear that just because one hears the spirit does not mean he or she has to share it at that moment in time. <laughs> However, Paul here is not referring to people who have a gift of prophecy, but who are themselves prophets, because, and I say this because this keeps appearing in the book of Revelation. Now, God communes in a special way with these prophets into their spirits that they then may speak or not speak depending on what's going on, the oracles of God. So remember, in Revelation 19.10, it states that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. For all the scriptures testify to Jesus as prophesied by the Holy Spirit in times past. Also in the mouths of believers, it is the same spirit of prophecy. Why? For when a Jew or Gentile speaks of the goodness of Jesus, they are literally fulfilling and living out ancient prophecy. Thus they carry and bear witness to the spirit of prophecy. So the term, the God of the spirits of the prophets, is really not so strange when we realize that the term spirit is referring to people who are living souls who operate in the calling of a prophet or the prophetic. Now, if we retranslate the verse in a slightly different way, it doesn't read so mysteriously and weird. The God of the prophets who are living souls sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. The term living soul that I've chosen to use here is an Old Testament one, which equates to the soul and spirit as being one unit. So God is the God of the prophets, both Old Testament and New Testament ones. Remember in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 11 to 13, it states that prophets are a part of the fivefold ministry which the church requires to bring her to the fullness of the maturity of the stature of Christ. God is a God of prophecy and he has used prophecy through men and women and in this instance an angel to reveal to God's bondservants i.e. the church, the things that must soon take place. Now, this is important to note because um, the verse or these verses in Revelation 22, 6 ends with the phrase, the thing which must soon take place. That should be the verse, not these verses. I can't even read my own handwriting. So <clears throat> it ends with the phrase, the thing which must soon take place. Now, 
the book of Revelation is a book of prophecy. It's not a preterist historical document of what happened at the destruction of the Herodian temple under the Romans. I say it again, it is a book of prophecy. Now let's remember the very beginning of Revelation in chapter 1 verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. <coughs> and as I just read, it, it ends with the phrase or here in Revelation 22, 6, the thing which must soon take place. So it can't be historically fulfilled because otherwise it wouldn't soon take place. The Apostle John calls this book a book of prophecy. It is not, I repeat, it is not a weird historical narrative written after the event, for that is called a historical narrative, not prophetic. And if it is a historical document, as preterists like to say, then as a book it is the most obtuse, irrelevant, meaningless piece of historical drivel ever written. Bear in mind, all the true historical books of scripture, such as First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, the Book of Acts, etc., are really good historically accurate books. Revelation is not a historical document, and if it was, it needs to go in the bin. But as a book of prophecy, it sits in beautifully with all the other prophetic books, such as Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, etc., Revelation 22 verse 7, and behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. This verse concludes the vision of the new heaven and new earth with its new Jerusalem and many wonders. And Jesus states that he is coming quickly, but not quick according to man, but quickly or soon according to God's definition of time. So, for example, 2 Peter 3 verse 9, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. Can't speak today. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Another one, another good one is from Habakkuk 2 verse 3, for the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it, it will certainly come and it will not delay. Now, many Christians throughout the ages have all pondered when Jesus will return. And in today's Christianity, we have fresh predictions almost every day. However, we do not know the day or the hour. Matthew 25, 13 says, therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. Except for us, of course, we assume that we do, <laughs> even though the Bible says, you don't know the day or the hour, therefore keep watch. <clears throat> but having said that, we can be aware of the seasons and keep watch for the signs of the times, always paying attention to the written prophecies from Scripture. But remember, when we use Revelation, we must use it with care. One of my personal bugbears is when Christians who are pre-trib in their theology, that means they believe in a rapture before the tribulation, take scriptures from halfway through the book of Revelation to justify current world events. Well, we've seen clearly now that Revelation is in a form of order, you know, as in as in chronological order. So we, we've seen because of that that there is a form of order. So to take a mid-tribulation scripture from Revelation and put it into today's timeline when there is no Antichrist, no peace treaty with Israel, no third temple, no new eight kings who govern the world, no mark of the beast system, etc., etc. Well, then quite clearly using that scripture in that context is wrong. And I wish people would stop doing it, especially no disrespect, but the pre-tribbers, 
using mid-tribulation scriptures to justify why we're about to be raptured now. And it's like, well, no, because if you if we are really in the mid-trib of using those very scriptures that you're using, why are you still here? Oh, don't get me going. Anyway, I've known uh, people trying to predict the rapture now for many years. I know of a handful of people. They, it's almost like uh, it's a favorite pastime of some. I'm being rude. I appreciate um, but it does it does get very boring after a while. And every time, and not only just these people I know, but throughout history, I think for the last 150 years, many people have been doing it over and over again. And they've been getting it wrong every single time. And sadly, I fear that that, that does more to damage the credibility of biblical prophecy than anything else. We're called to watch and pray in respect to the signs of the times and remember Signs of the times are indicators, signposts, even warnings, but no one can predict the day of Christ's return. Until we see the third temple go up, we're really still a way off being able to predict anything. The other day I was at a meeting where they were discussing red heifer cows and how that this means we are nearly ready for Christ's return. However, one can send Israel a thousand red heifers, but until the third temple is rebuilt, of which there is absolutely no appetite politically at this time to build one, then red heifers are just yet another red herring. Anyway, we are very close to Jesus' return, that is clear, but there is still so much that must come into play geopolitically at the date of this commentary. And today's date is... Uh, March the 3rd, 2023. So from the writing of this commentary in 2023, I will throw in my own prediction into the ring. Why not, since everyone else does? I reckon we will see the rise of the Antichrist possibly within... So you take this with a pinch of salt, right? So I'm just putting it in because why not everyone else does? So I reckon I reckon we'll possibly see the rise of the Antichrist within 30 to 40 years' time, possibly sooner, 25 as to the day and of the resurrection of the dead and Jesus' return, well, we cannot know that until the first seal is broken and then we can give a seven-year timeline before he returns. And even then, you've got to be careful because remember, when Jesus, uh, sorry, when God appeared to Abraham, he said to Abraham in a vision that you will be stuck in e- Egypt for 400 years. Well, it was 425. Now, for all those people that were predicting dates, probably in that camp what looked probably looked like a right bunch of buffoons because it was another 25 years before they actually left Egypt. Now there's reasons behind th- those numbers but we're not going to get into that now but it's just a, a little cautionary tale should I say. Revelation 22 verse 7 and behold I am coming quickly blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. It amazes me today how many Christians simply do not heed or pay attention to the book of Revelation, considering we've just been told to heed the words of the book of this prophecy. For example, on my Revelation podcast, the stats of listeners, this is not a boo-hoo moment, uh, are quite low. But if I give a prophetic word, for example, the stats are really high. Okay, So in many churches here in the UK, I would say... 90% of churches don't ever read or teach from the book of Revelation at all. So with that in mind, people are simply not heeding the warnings and blessings written with the book of Revelation. Now, let's not forget that Jesus personally states that there is a blessing to those who keep and heed this book of prophecy. Who wouldn't want an extra blessing from Jesus, right? 
Now, I, I sure want as much blessings as I can lay my hands on because I'm a greedy Christian. So I take the book of Revelation very seriously. Yet it really saddens me how many Christians and churches avoid the book, forgive the saying, like the plague. And I appreciate that it is a hard book to understand. I appreciate it can be dark and scary in parts. But forewarned is forearmed, right? And I fear that the modern day church is going to one day sleepwalk herself right into the end of days and not even be aware of what's going on. Just like she doesn't know what's going on right now. Anyway, I'll leave that with you. Hopefully um, I haven't offended anyone with my rant and raves today. But God bless you and we'll see you again soon. Bye bye.